Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and today obviously is a very special episode to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, they all are, but this is a, a little bit more personal because I'm going over my album that is just coming out today, The Forgotten Puppet Show. Now, uh, for those of you who have been with me for a while, you may recall that what I'm doing is two albums a year is my goal. And one album is new material, and the other album is uh, updated versions of older songs. Some have been from albums uh, in the past, and some have not. This album is my 29th. And when I say some have been on previous albums, that is very true. All of these songs were released on various albums uh, but they they seem to fit together in this collection better. I've modernized them. I you know all the older albums were done on a combination of a couple of pieces of gear. One being the Korg X3 sequencer, and the other one being an Alesis QS rack module, which was the rack version of the QS8 keyboard or the QS series keyboard, I should say. I have all the cards. Um, still have it. And still have the Korg, although I upgraded the Korg to an N264 at one point. So I went from, uh, you know, the 61 to 76 keys and doubled the amount of sounds that were in it, which was great. Unfortunately, the disk drive doesn't work. So some of the sounds are no longer accessible. I've tried multiple ways of getting things to work. And so I actually used some of the original tracks, the original recordings blended in with, uh, you know, modernized sounds. Now, a lot of the sounds I replaced with newer sounds, things that sound better, things that are cleaner, um, but some of the older sounds I kept as well that really made the characteristics of the song. It's really some tough decision-making doing these remix or remake albums because I want to keep the integrity of the original song, but I want it to be in the quality of you know today's sound. I can't really go back with the original songs that I wrote and use a Casio keyboard that I used. It was like a CS800 or something, I think. CZX800, maybe? I don't remember. But, uh, you know, I mean, the sounds are just so cheesy. I could never release anything like that now unless it was done as a bonus track or archive, you know, found archive track or something like that. So uh, it's very important to me, the quality that I put out, but also at the same point, I want to keep the charm of the original song, certain patches and sounds I created myself for these songs. So, you know, those I have to use because they were, they're the reason that the song is what it is. But let's say like I used a, you know, a violin or something on the Korg and I can actually use like a real violin sample now that all that stuff was upgraded. Um, the songs were also reproduced, so some of the songs are are a bit shorter. Some of them are right about the same time, but they've been reproduced because in the old days, I was very repetitive as a composer. I would just, I really enjoyed playing this part and I didn't want to never play it again. So I just kept playing it and making the songs longer and longer. And that was pretty pointless, you know? Um, I was probably the only one that enjoyed the songs being as long as they were. So I've cut down a lot of those things as I've done on the previous albums. Um, Dreamscape, I had to make some really tough decisions on that as I did on this one. And I'll point those out where the times are vastly different. But uh, yeah, these are these are tough projects because it's really riding that line for me. And I, I literally am probably the only one that would even notice all of this stuff because most people, this is the first time they're going to hear these songs. So for them, it's the first presentation. They're not going to be comparing it to the originals. So this is really just, you know, me wanting to present it in a way that I feel is the best way to present it. And for the listener, it's just a new experience anyway. 
So uh, that being the case, uh, these were just uh, some really fun songs from a, a really interesting period in my writing. I was being very experimental, trying a lot of different things. And I really looked back on some of this stuff and went, I really kind of can't believe that I wrote this. Not that it's anything necessarily spectacular, but just thinking of where my skill level was at the time or where I thought it was at the time and going back and listening to some of these, uh, you know, like the, the baseline on the first song that we're going to talk about is a perfect example. I still can't believe I wrote that baseline. I was never, well, I, I shouldn't say never because apparently I was at times, but um, I wasn't a huge bass person. You know, I was like, well, you have to have bass guitar. It's pretty much just root notes, maybe a little fill in here and there. Uh, very simplistic, you know, but for some reason, there's a couple songs on this album that have a good, really good groove to them. So it could have just been my influences. It could have just been that my my skill level really was growing beyond what I thought it was at the time in certain areas. Um, uh, who knows, you know, but in any case, I'm very proud of each and every one of these songs. There are 14 on the album. And the first song, like I said, Majestic View is one that, um, now I wrote that, I finished it on December 20, or sorry, December 15th, 1999. It's about five and a quarter minutes. This one was kept pretty true to the original. I upgraded the drum sounds a little bit and, and some of the other sounds, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty much on par with the original. And, um, I, I love this song. I wrote this for a new music library that was being put together. And this is really, it was kind of cutting edge because music libraries hadn't really been around. It was going to be a streaming satellite station. And this was before cable started really having a lot of those stations. So it was, it was a pretty early conception. And I really liked the, um, the challenge of it because I was given certain parameters that unfortunately I don't remember, but they weren't, they didn't make any sense to me. You know, at the time, I just wrote music as far as all the terms and, and all that, you know, especially when I read some of these uh, projects now where people are, are looking to license songs and I read what they're writing as the explanation of what they're looking for. And I'm like, I don't I don't really understand how you're writing an ad or you're looking for music for a car ad and you're you want automotive because that's not really a style of music and you'll put happy but then they'll also put like industrial melancholy. And I'm like, these, these things just don't, they don't really come together. And I remember my brother uh, was, was going to put in a bid for this as well. And he wrote a song that I really, really love. And uh, I think for, for both of us, I think these are a couple of our best songs. And this one for me, um, I wrote it really in about, uh, I think maybe over the course of two or three nights at the most, I was really pushing myself to get it done so I could present it to the the people that were doing the the project. And um yeah, I really think sometimes that you work best under pressure, but I remember the the words urban contemporary. And to this day, I think if somebody approached me and said, "Hey, uh, I want to hire you for a project. I want something urban contemporary." I would have the slightest clue as to how to fulfill those needs. I mean, they would have to give me song examples or something to to go by because those words just don't even merge together in my head. So uh, it's it's really interesting doing music licensing and you just, you have to find a way to understand what they actually are trying to get out of you. 
And a lot of times, you know, they throw out words like, like hashtags, you know, people throw out hashtags that kind of make sense on one level, but the people that are probably going to be searching for that hashtag really aren't looking at all for what you're doing. It's a really weird time that we live in, but this was obviously quite some time ago. Like I said, this would have been December of 99. I was living in Phoenix uh, at the time and I was very close to the Metro Center Mall. Cool little apartment that I had there. And well, the first time when I moved back from Colorado and moved into that same apartment complex, it had um, kind of bit the dust by that point. It was a very unfortunate place. But in any case, here is a little bit of majestic view. What's really interesting was I had thought about getting a, a live bass player on this one and, you know, maybe writing, working with them or having them write something that kind of you know, was like this, but maybe just better. And uh, they, they're a very skilled bass player and they wrote me back and they said, what you've got is really good. So I was, I was very um, touched by that, especially because it's, again, it was something that I'm kind of surprised that I wrote. So that was pretty cool. And, and I wish I had more moments like that in my life. Um, so that was Majestic View. Uh, the second song on the album is called Factory. And this was kind of going along the idea of just thinking about like a high volume industrial facility and uh, the, just the, the drive of the machines to pound out whatever the products are and just kind of taking a, a bit of a, a walk through there and experiencing that uh, intensity. And of course, you know, being a drummer, I'm very percussive. And so it's it's really built based around percussion. But it really, it came from this uh, sound I was playing around with writing, just tweaking little things and came up with the opening sound. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I want to do something with it. And then I just started working with the percussion and then I, then the visual kind of came together. So the music started to develop first, if I remember right. And then, um, you know, then, then the vision for the song and then obviously the rest of the song came together after that. But it's one that for me is just a lot of fun. It's very percussion heavy, but it still has that good element of synth in it. So here is a little bit of Factory. Yeah, that's a really fun song for me. And uh, I forgot to mention that I wrote that one uh, December 13th, 2001. So about two years after Majestic View. And that's going to pretty much be the range. Uh, there's some that are earlier, but uh, that's that's going to be the basic range for where this album comes in at. Um, some in 2000, some in 98. 
And um, if, hopefully if I remember, I'll let you know when all those were. But yeah, time-wise and everything, um, the new version's about four seconds longer, um, but that's about it. Everything's pretty much on par with what it was originally. I did make a few adjustments, but not a whole lot because I think, you know, that one was was pretty modern as it, as it was. I didn't feel the need to upgrade it, uh, if you will. Um, the next song is called Exploration. And this is uh, about 10 seconds shorter than the original. This was finished on October 27th of 1998. I actually remember working at Pro Sound Music in Westminster, Colorado. And I was late, uh, working late doing inventories and stuff. And I just decided to take a break, get my eyes off the the, the, the um, printouts, you know, with the tearaway edges and all that, doing the inventories. And I went into the keyboard room and I just started playing around on the Elisa's QS8. I don't think I had my QSR when I, when I first did this. It would actually be quite a bit later when I actually wrote the song. But uh, I just came up with, I saw this patch and I, I started playing with it and I really liked it and just kind of started playing with it and seeing what it could do melody wise. And then I remembered it. I think I probably wrote it down, you know, what it was because I knew I was going to get the QSR. And so I wrote it down so that once I had it, I could start working with it. And uh, and that's what I did. I think the patch was called Pitchbot, if I remember right. Um, kind of a real heavy synthesized arpeggio, uh, but a pretty cool patch, I think. And that was how I built the, the mainframe of the song was with that opening synthesizer that you hear. There's a couple of different layers of it and then added the percussion and then the bass and the synths and everything else. Is a lot of fun. There's some fun solos on it that I really enjoyed. Um, I, I love playing keyboard solos. They're just, they're, they kind of give you the context. You know, here's the palette that you're painting on. Here's basically the backdrop. And now go fill it in with some color. And so there are uh, a few fun solos on this album for me. Uh, but the ones in exploration, I think, are are some of my favorites. So Here's me with what I did in October of 1998. God, it's 2001 now, almost 2002. Now, I do recall on that one that I did add the piano um, and, and a couple other layered tracks in there with uh, with the revamp of it. But for the most part, it, it pretty much stayed the same. Uh, most of the synth sounds actually are the same. I think there's a couple I interchanged with ones that were very similar, but I thought slightly better sounding. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it, it stays pretty true to the original. Um, our next song is a pretty short one. It's only two minutes and five seconds and the original was two minutes i think i let a longer decay on the tail on this one but uh, it is called production line now i wrote this originally for a contest that a company called east west was having they make sound libraries and they were 
they were pretty much the biggest game in town at the time. There weren't a lot of companies out there making sound libraries. And they did this contest where they wanted to have you use their sounds in an interesting way. Like, don't think of an oboe as an oboe. Think of it as something else. So I thought about their sounds and, and the ones that I had. And I thought, you know, it would be cool to kind of go along the lines that I had before and kind of use this for, you know, um, a, a factory tour. And so originally I had all the machines, like I wrote out a map and a, a walkthrough of it. And then I moved all the pan dials. I automated them so that it would feel like you were walking through the factory and you're hearing like, as you approach the machine, as you pass it, as you turn and it goes back to a different ear. Um, it didn't really work out as well as I had wanted it to. So I did not do that for this version of it. Um, it, it was like a much better idea than the actual um, application of it, at least for this. But um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. Um, I think we were all a little bit disappointed in what happened with the contest. They ended up going with a classical piece of music. You know, nothing that was an interesting use of sounds, which was the whole premise of the contest. And I think you won like a, a library, which, you know, these libraries were like four or 500 bucks at one point. And, and some of them, you know, like the orchestras were over a thousand, I think for the gold ones. But um, yeah, so everybody got really pissed off at the company and the guy wrote back and he's like, it's my company, I'll do what I want with it. And really kind of lost a lot of people over this. I still use a lot of their products. Um, I haven't bought anything new from them in probably a decade because I'm just not inspired to use the sounds when a company has that attitude towards its people. Uh, or its customer base, especially when, you know, they hosted a contest under specific criteria and then reneged on that criteria for the final, you know, and it was a beautiful piece of music. Don't get me wrong, but there was nothing interesting about the way that they use the sounds. Whereas I'm using percussion sounds as a factory and, and, you know, had a little bit of orchestral uh, sound in the background as well, but uh, I'm going to quit talking about it and just let you hear a little bit of it. Here is production line. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's just kind of that, you know, here's these machines repeating their activities over and over on the assembly line. And uh, it was a lot of fun to write. The contest, I think the max on the song was two minutes. And so I pushed the envelope a little bit on that and put it right at two minutes. This one, obviously, I'm not restrained by contest rules. So I let it uh, I, I let the end of it go a little bit longer than I did. I think I had to chop that pretty harsh to hit the exact two minutes in the original um, but I also want to point out, you will hear some clicks and pops and things throughout the course of the album. Um, that is because I use the Abbey Road Vinyl Waves package to sort of give it that, you know, real to real warmth. Um, and, and I put a little bit of that in there because I really kind of wanted it to have that feel. The, the synths, a lot of them, they're just cold out of the box. They sound good, but they're just, they're kind of cold. And, you know, you want the album to have a warmth to it and... This is something that I really worked hard on for this album with the 
the um, the algorithm that I created to get this sound. And it's a little bit EQ, a couple of plugins, but mainly um, just just to give you that feel. And I, I just thought that was a, a nice addition to have it feel a little bit more vintage and a little bit lo-fi, you know, while I'm at it. So uh, that was a bit fun for me. Now, the next song um, is the the fifth song on the album. It's called Virus. This, <laughs> ironic, it's coming, you know, I decided to put it on this album, right? Uh, I wrote this, um, I finished it October 14th, 1998. And this one is uh, right about the same time uh, as the original. This is one that I remember I had at one point 102 fever and it was one of the only times I ever took a half day off work when I worked for the music store. I actually went home sick a half a day um, just because I thought if I don't let start letting my body heal a little bit, it's not going to go away and I'll end up in the hospital. So um, I remember coming home and I tried to lay down. And I tried to sleep and I just couldn't. My head was pounding. So, of course, what do I do? I turn the keyboard on and I start playing around with sounds and came up with uh, the basic structure of this. And then I finished it like a couple of weeks later after I felt better. I, I was in a position to, you know, get it going, but not really of, of a clear enough mind to be able to finish it properly. So I didn't want to write a bunch of things that I was going to hate and then not finish the song. So I kind of just got it all set up. And then I walked away from it for a couple of weeks until I felt better. And then I came back. I'm like, oh yeah, there was this thing I started working on. Um, and this is again, one of those, um, songs that was inspired by me getting the Elisa's QSR because most of the sounds come from that. And, um, you know, I'd had the Korg for a long time, so I was really used to all the sounds that were in that. And then I get this, uh, Elisa's product and I've got a few hundred brand new sounds. Everything's just kind of like, oh, wow, I could do this or do that. I mean, just based off the inspiration of the sounds alone, I could have written hundreds of songs if I had the time to write hundreds of songs. Um, but this is one that was definitely a product of that. There's some really cool solos in it. I, this is another one that I really dig the baseline on. And it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of a lot of fun, but it, it really is like that, um, you know, that high fever, this virus is just messing with me. Um, I'm hot and I'm cold at the same time. And my body just doesn't know what it's doing right now as it tries to fight off this virus. So that was, um, that was the premise behind the song. And of course, you know, because I was so ill when I started working on it, that just kind of stuck. And, um, I just imagined it kind of from the virus's perspective as it's just kind of, you know, flying through your veins and, hitting different spots and doing all the things that a virus does and fighting off the antibodies that my body's trying to build. So it's really told from the perspective of the virus itself, which is, um, you know, kind of unique. So the next song uh, we've got on the album is called Queen's Dance. I actually finished this on Christmas Day of 1996. I remember that very vividly. Uh, the song is actually about 12 seconds longer. I added a little bit more to the end and um, added a few other things in between, some additional percussion tracks, cut out a little bit of the previous percussion, changed a little bit of the sounds. So this one did get a bit of, a, of, of an overhaul. But the whole thing came from uh, me jamming on the keyboard on a steel drum patch and came up with the uh, just the, the main, uh, I guess, more like the melodic rhythm of the song than anything else, because it's very simple. Um, it almost has a bit of a 50 sound to me for some reason, I'm not exactly sure why, but it also has like an island feeling to it. I know I, I was off the rails when I wrote this, but this was a lot of fun. I had some people that really enjoyed this song 
And um, I did a lot of work on it. So it's not quite like the original, but the basic structure is still the same. I just, you know, added here, took away there, that sort of thing, changed a few sounds. Um, but again, it's another one that's very percussive oriented. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a drummer. What do you want? That little percussion uh, you heard there at the end of that clip, that's all new. Um, it does sound from from the opening that it's a little repetitive and the background is, but there's a lot of layers that come up and uh, just keep adding to and sounds change and things throughout the song. So it's it's kind of a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I kind of remember the visual as like people dressed in sort of Egyptian garb. And then I was like, no, it's more island. And they're just wearing like very relaxed you know, clothing that's tied together with a, a, a bark, you know, from a tree or something. And they're all performing, trying to, you know, impress and make this queen happy. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of fun. And then in my mind, in the end of the story, she joins in and dances with everybody in the last celebration. And this is one of those songs that that I wrote that falls into what I call the party song category, not because it's like a festival or celebration, but, but because the music at the end... Um, just kind of feels like everybody's like together and dancing together or, you know, arm in arm together, enjoying this moment that's never going to happen again, this event, this reunion, whatever the gathering is. And so when you, when you have that feeling where you're like, I kind of don't want this to end. I just want this to go on and write it out until I pass out or until there's, there's no light left anywhere to keep the party going. And for me, this is one of those songs. It just, it just has that feel to it. And uh, I do have an idea for a podcast I might do down the road where I actually just kind of go through all those songs that um, I can think of that are those party songs to give a more clear definition and examples of what I'm talking about when it comes to that. Had a couple of those on the Uriah Heat podcast as well. Um, so they're a lot of fun. Um, our next song is called Try Again. And this is really cool because I really like this song. This is another one I thought the bass was pretty cool. And um, it started out on piano, you know, just playing around on a piano and then coming up with the the opening melody and developing the song around that. But uh, my friend Dave White, who is the social media director for Uriah Heap, he handles their website. He handles McBox's website. He does all the postings on uh, Twitter and, and uh, Facebook, at least most of them. Every once in a while, the band will pop in and post something. But uh, he does all of that. He doesn't handle... Um, Instagram, but Facebook and Twitter, he does. And plus the websites. He's a very, very busy guy, but he's really cool. He's been on the Uriah Heat podcast a bunch of times. And um, he said, when I was putting the album together, he goes, well, hey, if you need any, you know, guitar work or anything, let me know. And when I went, after I had picked all the songs that were going to go on this album, I thought about this one. And I thought, you know, this, this could maybe benefit with something. 
And I don't have any ideas right off the top of my head. I hadn't really sat down to work with it yet. I just thought, you know, well, let, let me send it to Dave and see if it's something he'd be interested in working on. So yeah, he he liked the song. Uh, he thought it was pretty cool. He did the guitar tracks. And then he also did uh, a couple of Hammond tracks and a mini Moog track. And so um, I already had a Hammond track in there. So I dropped one of the Hammond tracks that he sent in and used one of his blended with one of the ones that I had. And I dropped one of my Hammond tracks because I think I had two, two or three in there originally. So I blended what he put in with what I put in. And then I kept the mini Moog. I think I dropped out one section of the mini Moog that he put in. And then uh, all the guitar stuff I kept. Really, really cool stuff. So I really didn't give him any direction. I just said, you know, let the song speak to you and, you know, put your stamp on it, like play it the way that you would play it if you wrote the song. And so the tracks that he sent me um, were the only ones that he sent me. And those went right into the song. I was very, very thrilled with what he wrote. I was glad he liked the song so much. He added so much energy to it compared to the original, which I realized was bit repetitive, you know, so I did chop the song down before I sent it to him. It was originally six and a quarter minutes and the final is 449. So, you know, about a minute and a half came out of the song. And uh, I think what what is left uh, really, really works. And between the the solos and stuff that he put in there and the stuff I had in there, I think it's a much better song than it originally was. But that was one of the ones where, again, you know, I'm just having so much fun with this song between the bass line and the piano and everything that I really just didn't want to stop playing it. And I didn't I wasn't a good enough producer of my own music back then. And I've learned so much since then. So now I can look at these, you know, try and step out of my artist eyes and ears for a minute and look through the eyes and, and hear through the ears of a producer and just be really realistic with myself. You know, this is too long. This isn't long enough. Um, this doesn't belong in there at all. Stop being nostalgic and just make a better song. And, you know, sometimes I stay in that nostalgia. Sometimes it's hard to let go of some of those parts, but at the end of the day, you want the song to be the best it can be. And, um, you know, me getting a lot of the repetition out of some of the older songs has, has really made a big difference for me. Um, so yeah, it, it was fun. Dave's guitars kick in right off the beginning when I sent him the original demo. The only thing he wanted me to do was raise the guitars at the beginning just a little bit. <laughs> so not, not too bad, but yeah, all the guitars are him. The Moog is him. Part of the Hammond is him and everything else in the song is me. And, and Dave, the song, would not be the same without your input on it. So thank you very, very much. Next up is a song called Beneath the Surface. I finished this one May 1st of 2000. And this was kind of, it was based on the idea of we meet people, we form opinions of people, 
And they're based upon that first impression, right? We don't really get to know who they are, what's going on with them. We might call up a friend and just want to chit chat and they might be going through something that's really difficult, but they're trying to hide it. So they just try and have a pleasant conversation. And maybe you miss some of the little differences in their voice or their tone. And, um, you know, we're just so caught up in so many things these days. And not just that, but I mean, you could look at nature and, and say the same thing. Like we just don't necessarily see things decaying and we could fix them if we just really paid more attention. So the idea was behind the the fact that, you know, beneath the surface of what your perception is, there's so much more going on. And, you know, people post memes all the time about you don't know what battles people are fighting. And as much as I get bored with memes and I'm like, you know, don't don't just throw a meme out there. If you care about people, reach out to people, start interacting with people. Don't throw a meme up and think it's going to solve all our problems. But at the same point, that one's very accurate. I'm a fan of that one. Um, I think it's very, very true. And I think that um, we need to pay more attention. We need to be more active listeners. We need to see each other more. You know, we need to look each other in the eyes and and really see what's going on because the eyes give away a lot. And yeah, that's just me. But that's that was the basic premise of the song. Um, I did some effects on it uh, just because I wanted the song to feel that... I need to keep up appearances. I can't be what I am. And that struggle, you know, um, that that battle of trying not to let people see what's hiding beneath the surface. This next song is called Rejection, and I finished this one November 16th of 1999, and I, wow, I really cut this one down. This was six minutes and 14 seconds, and the new version is 425, so almost two full minutes um, or a, a third of the song got cut down, and I know why, because the end of it just went on and on and on, and again, it was like so fun to play and create the the tonal palette of this song that I really just didn't want to stop doing it. And uh, I remember it went on longer and I faded it from the original version. So I don't know what the actual time of the original song was, but that's where it ended was at uh, six minutes and 14 seconds. It's uh, it, it, I can't remember if this was inspired by an actual person or a culmination of events or what. Um, I used to be able to keep all that stuff in my head when I was younger, but now it's kind of, you know, some things I still attach to those original memories and some I don't. But in any case, um, this is, it's pretty gut-wrenching. Um, I use some effects with uh, with a guitar sample that just kind of like are are almost like, you know, razors through our bones of, of emotion. And um, it's a very powerful song for me. It just has that almost catatonic pulse to it where you're just like staring and you're, you're like, I can't believe that this is happening yet. All these emotions are swirling around you. It's um, a very different song, you know, but it's, it's one where I feel like you can listen to it and release 
a little bit. And then there's a part where like you start to feel better, like the sun comes out and then you're like, oh yeah, but they're, they're, they're still not here. They've rejected me or whatever. So um, yeah, that's, that's the basic premise of the song. It was one that was uh, hard to write because you start, you know, thinking about all these things that have happened to you throughout your life and all these times that you've lived through this. And that's what helps bring out the emotion in the song. But at the same point, like you're having to draw on those experiences that were so unpleasant that you think that you pushed down or pushed away and forgotten about, but you don't. Let's get out of the funk that those last two songs have left us in and bring up the joy and the excitement and things with a song called The Smoke Has a Shadow. I finished this one April 14th of 2000, uh, right about the same uh, time as the original uh, length of play. And this one, I, I specifically remember I was working at Progressive Insurance in Tempe, Arizona, and um it was it was a warm, a very warm day, and I went out for my break. I used to smoke cigarettes back then, so I went out to smoke on my break, get away from my desk and all the phone calls and everything. And um, just the way the sun was at that moment, as I would exhale the uh, the smoke, I would see the uh, the shadow on the brick wall behind me, and I thought that's kind of interesting. So I I was kind of just letting that play in my head throughout the rest of the day, and you know, over the course of the next couple of days, I had finished the song, but I thought, you know, it's kind of interesting because the smoke goes in all different directions. Every particle kind of has its own thing that it does. Sometimes it stays with the other particle. Sometimes it dissipates. Sometimes it goes in a different direction. It's really fascinating. Um, you know, it's it's like icicles. Every, every one of them's different. And so I just kind of started playing with that idea. And I sat down, I just closed my eyes, picked up a piano sound, I picked up the piano sound. Then I closed my eyes. All right, let's be real. And uh, just started playing. And after a few minutes, this was the melody that I came up with. And this is another bass line that I really like. Um, I guess I was kind of starting to come into something in this couple of years for bass guitar, which was before I ever picked one up to actually play. Um, I mean, I may have once, but to, not in any serious fashion. And there's a couple of really fun solos in here. Um, there's there's a really cool part where the drums change to just really heavily using the toms and uh, keeping the snare beat at the same time. It's it's a really fun song for me, and I was really glad to include it on this album. Um, I definitely didn't want to take anything away from it. Um, it's it's just such a fun song to to play and listen to.
I won't say my fingers weren't a bit tired because they certainly were. That uh, That is an exercise. Let me tell you, fortunately at the time, um, I just had the synthesizer. So I was playing on non-weighted keys. That would be much harder on a weighted key keyboard or actual piano because the keys are heavier. So you're going to have to press a lot harder. But of course, people that play piano a lot have much stronger fingers than I do when it comes to piano playing. <laughs> so uh, so the next song, the title track of the album, The Forgotten Puppet Show, this this concept was an album um, originally, and uh, it was called The Forgotten Puppet Show. Some of these songs, like I said, did appear on uh, the original album. It's not a concept album. Um, certainly with that title, it could have been something, but I, I wasn't in, in the uh, zone of writing a concept album at the time I did the original song. This kind of has a, 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 you know, emotional story to it, but it's not a concept album per se. Um, but this was just the idea of, you know, these, in, in the days of, you know, ventriloquists and that, um, you know, we don't really see a lot of puppet shows like we used to. We see character shows. I mean, you think of a guy like Jeff Dunham, who has a bunch of puppets, and um, there's people that that do you know short films with puppets and stuff, you, but it, they're not really that common anymore. They're not to the level that we used to see them. So it's just like a forgotten art, and in a way, it's kind of sad because those puppets are you know they're in museums, they're in you know people's collections or whatever. But you don't you don't really see that kind of art as much anymore. So that was pretty much where the idea of the song came from. Um, I can tell you, I finished this one on June 9th of two thousand. So just a couple months after The Smoke Has a Shadow. And this one I did chop down a bit. The original was 6.05 and I chopped it down to about four and a half. So, you know, about a minute and a half cut off of it. That's a, a pretty good chunk. And um, yeah, it's about 25% of the song. So again, it was just these long out. It was, it was really the ending mostly that I cut down because it was very just long and repetitive and drawn out. And I thought, you know, I can just rewrite this in a way that's much better much more um, emotional and to the point at the same time without having to drag it out for so long. So I just pretty much cut off uh, from the time that the main music decays and it's just, you know, piano and uh, a little bit of extra sound and really just cut that down and rewrote all of that. So that's all new for this version of the song. And here it is. Now, the opening sounds I created on the uh, on the Korg X3. These are, are not uh, stock patches at all. So the next song is called Haunting Memories. I finished this one February 19th of 2000. It's about a little over five and a half minutes and the original was as well. This one, uh, I really loved the sounds on these, did some interesting percussion things. And this song kind of culminates in a blend of different parts. And it just 
really, I just thought, let me just try it and see if it works. And I, I overlaid the parts and they really worked beautifully together. And that was a, a pretty proud moment for me or a very happy accident, whichever. But uh, I really love this song. It's got such a different feel on the drums. There's some effects on them, obviously. And, um, you know, there's those there's those memories that no matter how much we try to push away, sometimes they, again, they just come you know, thudding back with with reckless abandon, and they are determined that we are going to have to deal with them at some point. And that was basically the idea for for this song. And I had a lot of fun with this one. So it's got a bit of a build at the beginning, but it goes lots of places after that. It's uh, definitely one of the songs that I have listened to a lot. You know, I don't always listen to my own work, um, but when I do, this is one of those uh, go-to songs for me. I'm like, I just want to hear Haunting Memories right now. You know, that that phrase has uttered my been uttered in my mind many, many times. Um, as we get into the last couple songs on the album, this one, The General Perspective, I remember I had left Progressive. I was working at a company called Willis Caroon, which did insurance uh, certificates. And, um, you know, I, I've never felt all that comfortable in the corporate world. I mean, I've been reasonably successful as a corporate employee, you know, but um, it, it's just, you know, any artist who really just wants to to do their art and think that it has merit, um, you know, it's really hard to work those jobs sometimes. And I remember... It was a company that had a real eclectic group of people. You know, it was very, very strange. I remember being sexually harassed by my boss. That was kind of annoying. Um, but this was at the point where I was like, you know, I don't really know if things are going to work here for me in Arizona. Ended up moving back to Colorado for a year when I left this company. Um, I was there for, I think, like a year or something, something close to that. Um, but it just, it wasn't the greatest fit. But I did meet some cool people there. Um, yeah, it's just one of those interesting experiences, but I remember, uh, writing this just kept getting ideas for it. And it's another one of those really moody songs. And, and this kind of goes back to the concept of beneath the surface where, um, I talked about in the first part of that, just that, you know, we get a certain concept of a person or a thing and we base everything on that initial th concept. And we don't, you know, allow for us to really do discovery. A lot of times we just form our opinion and that's who that person becomes. And so this is the idea of just like the general perspective of how people might view me or have viewed me during that time. And it's, uh, it's really interesting that like the responses and reactions I would get from people. Um, I've never really been a good at being a people person at times I have, but it's usually specific groups of people or specific people. So, um, this was kind of a, a, 
bit of how I felt people looked at me and saw me. I should point out that the uh, timpani in this song was very much inspired by a band called King Crimson and a song called Epitaph. There's some really emotional timpani in that song that I love very much. Um, I've reviewed In the Court of the Crimson King on this show earlier this year on an episode, and uh, it's it's I just love that album so much. But that was the idea behind the percussion was to give it a sort of similar feeling to that. Not sure whether I really did, but I do like the way that it sounds in this song. Um, again, another kind of, you know, emotional song, um, one that I really kind of hold dear to my heart. I've listened to this one a lot, too. And it's it's one that I'm very, very proud of, as, as really I am all of these songs. Um, that one... I can't remember if I said or not. I finished September 3rd of 2000. Um, and it was, it's just a little bit longer than the original version. Um, our last song is called Last Dance of the Celebration. And it was finished November 15th, 1999. And this one is actually a little bit shorter. The original was 533. This one's 516. And the story behind this was I was visiting Arizona. This is before I moved there the first time. And uh, my brothers took me to this hotel in Scottsdale. I cannot think of the name of it for the life of me. I've been trying to think of it for like three days now. And um, it, it's, you know, Scottsdale is pretty upper class in, in a lot of places. And this was a, just a beautiful hotel. They took me through the back where there's just, you know, there's like a, a large swimming pool and a botanical, like, almost like a botanical gardens. It's done that well. But there's also these, like, there's this, this area that you can walk through where there's like a lot of individual pools or pools for two people. And there's like, you know, Christmas style lighting and everything. It's just a really beautiful, relaxing place. And of course, you know, the whole back is open and we went when the sun was setting and there are some beautiful, beautiful sunsets in Arizona. And this would have been over Memorial Day. And, um, I was thinking about it one night, just kind of remembering that place and, um, just started thinking about, you know, how would I explain that musically? And so that was this song just kind of, you know, here's, here's my, my audio walk through whatever this hotel was. And it was definitely one thing that I still remember very much. I remember how, dim the the light was from the setting sun i remember the the christmas style lighting i remember walking through the area where the individual pools were like it's just a a really beautiful place and um i wouldn't mind visiting that again if i could ever figure out what the hell it was called but in any case that was um something that i really kind of wanted to see if i could put into music and i feel like i did i feel like the mood of this really captures that sunset you know, and the solos are just being wowed by different things that I saw and the, the lighting and the atmosphere and everything else. It's, it's pretty amazing. 
So yeah, I didn't write the song until much later. Like I said, this was written, uh, finished on November 15th of 99. And I think it was 99 or maybe 98. No, it had to be 99. I don't know now I'm old, but uh, it was, it was either 98 or 99 when I went out for Memorial Day and visited Phoenix the first time and went to that hotel. But uh, yeah, so that's the album, guys. Um, the release is going to be a little bit weird on this one because of the you know changing distributors getting away from CD Baby and starting with Bandcamp. I'm not using the um, extra pro Bandcamp thing. I'm just using the basic uh, setup for now. So the the album will be available on Bandcamp immediately if you if you go there right now. The link is in the show notes. You can get the album. I'll also have that link on the website and the link to the website on on the show notes. But uh, it will slowly appear into, you know, Amazon will take a little bit longer, but iTunes should be fairly quick. And um, I, I, I'm not sure where all it's going to go just yet. A lot of places will be on Google Play. Um, lots of uh, little smaller places that I've never heard of. I don't really know what they are. But yeah, so keep an eye out for that. But you can get it right now on Bandcamp. It's seven bucks, you know, not a huge investment for 14 songs. That's about half the price of what an album would normally be with 14 songs these days. So, you know, check it out. I hope you guys like it. Um, It really means a lot to me if you do. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for being here with me on this episode. Uh, If all goes well, in just a few hours, I will have a news uh, special episode coming to you on Saturday. So keep an eye out for that as well. An interview that I've been hoping to do for quite some time and didn't think I would get the chance to. So if all uh, comes together well, then you'll be hearing that interview on Saturday. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me, for going through this album and my memories and all of that. I hope you had fun and we'll see you guys in the next one. Cheers. (laughs) 